0: Merry Podmas, everyone! Thanks for tuning in for this special episode of Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, here in Minneapolis, and in this episode, I'm giving you the Christmas gift of some other fun composition podcasts to listen to. If you heard my last episode with N64 composer Grant Kirkhope, you know that I'll be taking some time off from the podcast. I'm realizing that I need to find a way to make it a little more financially sustainable since I end up spending about 10 to 15 hours per week on these episodes. If you've been enjoying the show and want to make sure that season four happens, please consider pledging a buck or two per episode at composerquest.com patron. I've done the math and it'll take about 68 additional patrons pledging to make it feasible for me. It sounds like a high number, but I think we could do it. Actually, since the last episode, I've already gotten two new patrons that I want to thank. Mike Manor, who's a composer here in Minnesota, pledged $2 per episode. Thanks, Mike. The other new patron I want to thank went way above what I expected from anyone. He pledged $8 per episode. So huge thanks to Jacob Haller for making that pledge. My patron jingle for Jacob will be coming eventually, but I thought I'd give him a special shout-out now. Jacob's also a podcast producer. He does the show Tell Me About Your Song which you can find at tellmeaboutyoursong.com or on iTunes. So again, whenever we get up to 86 total patrons or $150 per episode, whichever comes first, I will start up the regular interviews again right away. So thanks for considering a donation and thanks to all of my current patrons. That link to become a patron again is composerquest.com/patron. During this break, if you want to stay connected, I've just created a ComposerQuest forum, thanks to Dan Wheeler's suggestion. It's a work in progress, but try it out and let me know what you think, forum.composerquest.com. I've noticed that everyone who's been reaching out to me and getting involved in quests has been really, genuinely very nice, so I'd love to see all of you listeners interacting and learning from each other in this forum. You can always stay in touch with me through email charlie at composerquest.com or connect with composerquest on twitter or facebook now let's get on to the fun part of this episode where i share seven of my favorite composition podcasts first up is a podcast that's mostly focused on music production it's called the ubk happy fun time hour and it is a lot of fun especially for audio nerds gregory scott aka ubk is a plugin developer so he knows his stuff when it comes to mixing Here's a little clip from their first episode.
1: I love the dance music, but you all need to listen to what I'm about to tell you if you make electronic dance music. Now, many of you will have this already to some degree. Many of you will have, you're better than I am in every in every possible respect. You're a better human being. You look better. You smell better. But for those who don't smell quite as nice as <laughs> me, listen, music, try to remember if you can what music that's played that's played on instruments by people in a room, not necessarily a recording of it, but just imagine a band in a room. They respond to one another and things happen together. So what doesn't happen is the drummer doesn't start playing a beat and then suddenly, there's guitar and then eight bars later, there's the bass. That's, that's not the way it unfolds. Now there's, there's some good reasons for doing that in electronic dance music, especially if you're making vinyl that's specifically – I'm not even vinyl. I'm dating myself now. If you're making this – Phonograph. You're making this <laughs> – <laughs> Like if you're going to put on a Victrola. Like, <laughs>
2: Actually, I had a conversation last night with a yeah, friend.
1: That sounds
3: like –
2: <laughs> I actually had a conversation last night with a <laughs> with a friend about. Uh, you have a friend? I,
4: I <laughs> okay
2: with someone I know. <laughs> okay, that's better, right? Uh, that's believable. About uh, contra- music contracts and how some of them still have the word phonograph. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I was just thinking it would be funny. That's to, a good sign
1: for our industry. Yeah, yeah. it'd be funny to
2: update those with. I will provide you with a phonograph MP3 yes. of your <laughs> of your mix. Wax done.
1: cylinders <laughs> ready. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. No. So yeah, so you like, got was, a fun, yeah. you're mixing a photograph. I understand. Her. Like I said, I spin the twelve hundreds. I understand that there's a reason to have sounds come in on the, metronomically like that. But what I'm saying to you is, you need, you need more. And I'm not talking about more in the sense of eating up space or more stuff happening all the time. I'm talking about transitions. Oh yeah. Okay. It, it, Because the music is so programmed and because it's so it generally is extraordinarily repetitive. And I get that. That's what it's about. It's good. Not all of it's like this, but a lot of it is. And whether it is or isn't doesn't matter. But the point is, it's, it's generally built a layer at a time generally by the same person, sometimes there's a couple collaborators, but generally one person doing this. So it's all coming out of the same mind. It's coming out linearly, this part, and then this part, and this part. Do not arrange it linearly like that. Get all your parts out, but then move them around, play with things first and foremost. And then once you've got it, this is what, okay, here, this is what I'm gonna do as a mixer. So if you can get into this space as a composer, your life will be so much easier, or the, the life of the guy who's mixing it, or, or a gal, whoever's mixing this thing. Once you got all your parts arranged, and you've got the general flow of the song, then just pay attention to what is the focus of this eight-bar section. Mm-hmm. What's really carrying the groove? It might not be what you think. So just push and pull levels around and make something really loud and see how that sounds. Then make something else really loud and turn that other thing really down. Get get a sense of how these sections flow, and then create transitions. Create things that happen that signal that a change is coming. All right? So this is my first – I'm going to drop these gems on you. These are free. Ooh! Signal the change is coming. Do something to build, and no, you know everybody in the world. If you listen, to it, it's cheesy and it works, but everybody's doing it. So try to be more clever. But if you listen to the pop and stuff on the on the radio. There's all these hoovers and and sweeps. And then the thing hits. And there's a reason they put that stuff in there. It's because it's effective. It lets you know something's happening. Oh, something's really going to happen. Boom, something just happened. And then generally there's some sort of explosion. It's energetic, not necessarily sonic. Audio explosion. Yeah, something hits at that moment. New sounds come in. Old sounds go away generally. And something rings out. So create your transitions like that. Give me as a mixer something to sink my teeth into as these parts come and go. And then as you're layering stuff up, when you arrange things, have two things come in at once. Ooh. Always have two things come in and not just one. Boom. Two things happen and make them kind of different and contrasting or whatever. Yep. And the instant you've got like five things happening and that includes like drums are one thing and bass is another. So three things happen and otherwise, if it's time to bring more things in, other things got to go away. Just make them go away, and it's very select moments in the song. You can really kind of pile things up, but otherwise, stuff's got to go away. When other stuff comes in, keep the space, keep the air in the song. Yep. To be fair, these are things that everybody needs to be paying attention to. Uh, bands, people, oh, yeah. people making music in their bedroom, and, but it's indie pop or whatever. This is all music. every this style, is all of music, right? style.
0: You can check out their podcast at ubkhappyfuntimehour.com. Next up is the first composition podcast I started listening to, Creativity and Composition with Richard Russell. If you've been listening to Composer Quest for a while, you might remember Richard from episode 62. Here's a clip from his episode on avoiding boxiness, or predictability, in your composing.
5: The easiest way to avoid boxiness is this. Vary your rhythms. Vary your rhythms. Let's consider a musical example. Take a standard four four beat at a pretty good pace you set up a tempo like this one two three four one two three four one two three four but what if you change meter in the middle try one two three four one two three four one two three one two three four or even more exciting try 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4. So what have I done here? I've inserted a 3-4 measure and also a 5-4 measure, and I've dropped them in right into the middle of a standard 4-4 beat. I've interrupted the beat. I've varied the rhythm. It gives a little bit more edge, a little bit more unpredictability, and hopefully, a little bit more interest right into the beat you don't let the proverbial other shoe drop quite so quickly, or perhaps you drop that shoe before expected. This is one reason why I don't like to write in three four rhythm very often. I love a good waltz, and I have great admiration for those who write waltz as well because it's very hard to vary that rhythm once you get locked into it one, two, three, one, two, three, or you know the standard. Um pa pa um pa pa um, pa pa beat. It's very hard to get out of that once you're writing a waltz, but there are certainly excellent waltzes out there. I just don't happen to enjoy writing them. Now, in the early 20th century, there was the idea of liberating music from the tyranny of the bar line. I think that's what we're talking about here. The first time I heard that, I had no idea what that was all about. But the more I've grown as a composer, the more I've come to understand what this means. Just because you've nominally set up your composition in 4 4 time doesn't mean you have to do that throughout the entire piece. Now let's consider Beethoven. In his day and age, you didn't change the meter every other measure or so, but he still created tension and avoided boxiness by putting accents on the so called wrong beat or through use of syncopation or throwing in an unexpected chord. You can find meter changes in the best pop music, too. The Beatles did this very frequently. Listen to songs like She Said, She Said, We Can Work It Out, and Good Morning, Good Morning. These songs change effortlessly from 3 4 to 4 4 to 5 4. And even a more recent song like Lose Yourself by Eminem has some very interesting ways with dealing with boxiness. It opens with a very standard driving eighth note feel. With a very standard 4-4 drum and bass track, it doesn't sound too promising as far as avoiding boxiness. Where the rhythmic interest comes from is in the vocal, which constantly tugs and pulls and works at odds and ends with the standard underlying beat. The rhymes of the lyrics don't land where you expect them to, and you end up with something that sounds very much like a rhythmic counterpoint. So, as you're writing your music, keep all this in mind. Throw in a little bit of rhythmic variety now and then. Throw in a chord that's not where it's supposed to be, or take that melodic leap to an unexpected spot. Be aware and beware of boxiness.
0: Richard isn't producing episodes anymore, unfortunately, but you can find his back catalog if you just search for Creativity and Composition in iTunes. Next up is a podcast from another ComposerQuest guest, Tom Snively. Tom's on a quest of his own to become a full-time video game composer and developer. So his podcast, Inside Video Game Music, is dedicated to asking indie composers about their techniques. Here's a clip from his interview with Eric Sirka about his music for the game Spelunky.
6: The Deathmatch is the version of the game when you're playing multiplayer against other people.
0: Yeah, and it, it's kind of like,
7: it's a really strange uh, way of playing it. The challenge really with writing the music is you don't know if a deathmatch match is going to last like a second or a minute. Uh, so I couldn't even, because it gets just like frantic. It's, it's just like four people in a room, there could be like a million bombs flying around the very first second. So the challenge was like, how do I write music to fit an experience which can be, well it's really unpredictable. So I ended up just like writing a longer piece of music that would it would be continuous. It wouldn't start over each time a match started over. And that's why I figured also it'd be a good place to just drop down a, a, an homage because it was just like a longer piece of music.
6: So at the end of the track, it loops back to the beginning?
7: Yeah, but it's probably one of the longer pieces of music in the game. I don't know how long it is exactly, but it's probably like a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's a little it's bit... Most of-
6: it's a little bit over two minutes, whereas most of the tracks on the soundtrack are between 30 seconds and a minute.
7: Exactly. Yeah, because a level in, a level in Spelunky can be really short, so there was no reason to write long pieces of music except that one case.
5: Uh, so,
6: yeah, if the matches are short, but then there are repeated matches over and over, you're saying the song will just play and not restart, so then it'll play and loop.
7: Yeah, the the music just uh it, i mean as soon as you enter your first match the music will start playing and then it'll just keep going into the next match but what we did though was we had we split it up into two tracks we had the percussion on a separate track so that in game we actually faded out the percussion in between matches uh, and the melodies would just continue
0: Check out all of these podcast episodes at InsideVGM.com. Tom also interviewed me in episode seven, which you can find at InsideVGM.com/007. You've probably sensed the theme by now, but our next podcast host has also appeared on Composer Quest, John Brantingham. John's Art of Composing podcast is a good mix of big picture composer advice and practical advice. Here's a clip from his episode called The Pathway to Mastery, Part One. Robert Greene, in his book
8: Mastery, talks about five strategies for finding your life's task, which are return to your origins, occupy the perfect niche, avoid the false path, let go of the past, and find your way back. Now, in one way or another, I have gone through all of these strategies to get me back on the path towards mastering my life's task. So let's discuss these just a little bit. Returning to your origins is basically connecting with what interested you most as a child. Take some time and reflect. What did you spend your time doing? Did you love to go outside and observe nature? Did you spend your time solving puzzles or doing math games? Or like me, did you enter music into a tracking program and transcribe because you just wanted to know how music worked, especially the songs that you love listening to? As Robert Greene says in, in his book, in order to master a field, you must love the subject and feel a profound connection to it. What used to cause you wonder in life? I still remember listening to Mahler's first symphony, which was the second CD I ever bought, and I would listen to it over and over. And I was only about 13 years old, and I just wanted to write like that. So I tried, and I, I failed, really, but the important thing was that I tried, and I was absorbing the music, and I was, I was absorbing the way Mahler wrote. Take the time and think about this one. Next, occupying the perfect niche is all about working your way towards a life that will support and nurture your life's task. For me, part of this was starting artofcomposing.com to learn and teach music composition. Part of the benefit of this is the reflection time that I get thinking about the process of composition and how best to learn and teach it, as well as also reflecting on how I compose. But it also fits with my other interests of technology and design and web design and art and entrepreneurship in general. But I know things will change as I change, and as I prepare to go through the UCLA film scoring program next year, I'm keeping my eyes open for an assistantship with an established composer so that I can learn from them directly. And uh, I I would like to be engrossed, really, in the film scoring industry. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, getting a mentor Um, in later parts of this series on mastery. So take some time to think about what your ideal niche is. How can you get into that niche? Do you want to write choral music? Well, why don't you look for a job at a church with a choir? Offer the church music for free. Be willing to help. Do you want to compose for big bands? Well, find out where the local big bands are playing and get in contact with whoever runs them. Chances are they would love to have some help with something. The key is aligning what you do with what you want to do. This takes time and patience, but you must work towards it and be flexible. Next, avoiding the false path is all about not being steered in the wrong direction. The greatest part about this is the story in the book is about Mozart, but I also saw some of my own story reflected in it. Not that I'm saying I'm as good as Mozart or anything, But Mozart very early on realized that he did not want to be a performer. Instead, he wanted to compose, and compose opera especially. In fact, in a letter to his father, he wrote, I am a composer. I neither can nor ought to bury the talent for composition with which God, in His goodness, has so richly endowed me. You see, Mozart was being pulled around Europe to perform for royalty. His incredible skill as a young boy enthralled everyone but he knew that it was really a distraction from what he was meant to do, which was compose. In the same way, I always saw my, my other obligations, like schoolwork and practicing trumpet, as false paths. I was not meant to be a trumpet player. I was meant to be a composer. But as life happened, I was slowly driven away from it, especially as I went into college. By the time I graduated and went into the Army, I was quite fully on a false path, and it took me about six years to get back on the correct path. Now, six years at two hours a day, that's 4,380 hours, so that's almost half the way to 10,000 hours, which is a lot of lost ground. So stay off the false path. But if you're already on the false path, letting go of the past and finding your way back are the next strategies. You must be willing to make a cut with whatever progress you've made in the things that are not your life's task. For me, this meant leaving the army and moving to California for you it could mean leaving your job or your school or even your country now this takes courage and commitment that little voice in your head that says you shouldn't do it well that's resistance which i will probably talk about in a future episode as well you may well you may be well paid and have a high up position with a lot of respect but who is it that really respects you do you respect you now i'm not saying just leave your job and throw caution to the wind Leaving the Army for me was a year-long process, and I made plans, and I had support from family members, and I saved up a lot of money. But don't let money be an excuse. Do you want to get to the end of your life and say that you earned a lot of money and you were miserable? Or do you want to use your time to fulfill your true destiny? Fulfilling that destiny starts today. As soon as you get a chance, grab a pad of paper and a pen or a computer, if that's what you write better on, and I want you to write out your childhood story Just as I have told mine here, let your mind run free and put yourself back in that time. What did you spend your time on? Where was it leading? Are you still going in that direction? Hopefully, like me, you get some
0: clarity out of the process. John's podcast and blog are at artofcomposing.com. Next up is a show in the same vein as Radiolab and 99% Invisible called Pitch. Although it's not all composition-based, there are some interesting music stories in each episode. Here's one from their first episode, where they investigate why silence in music can be so manipulative. What exactly were the pauses doing to me? I think to start, we have to say that
9: a song has a responsibility to be interesting. Just like any story, there has to be some sort of tension or movement to it.
4: A good record will build, will start in in a certain place and take you someplace. Take the listener on a journey of some sort. You know, so that each section, there's something new going on. There's very few songs that start and don't go anywhere that are interesting enough to listen to.
9: Playing around with how loud or soft something is, that's one way you can create that tension. Dropping everything out all at once, in the middle of a song, that's dramatic, and it forces you to sort of lean in and listen a little bit closer.
4: The hip-hop guys do this all the time. Everything will drop out... And you'll just hear the voice, and it's it's almost like underlying the lyric at that point.
10: It's like,
4: you know, saying, oh, now listen to this. All of a sudden, the lyric and the voice will jump out of the track. It hasn't gotten any louder. It's just that there's nothing behind it all of a sudden.
9: Dynamics are one part of why the pause works so well. The pause doesn't just say, hey, now listen to this, like the isolated vocal does. The pause says, hey, check out what's coming next. And then it freezes, and it waits. It takes whatever emotion is present
11: in the song and just magnifies it.
9: On top of the tension that's created by dynamics, on top of the anticipation, the pause taps into something that's even deeper. It taps into this feeling that you are part of a group. When I was talking with Karen, I had to admit, sadly, that I've often been that guy at a show who doesn't know the band all that well and starts clapping at a pause, mistaking it for the end of a song. And just like you said, like, I'll start clapping at not the end of a song and be embarrassed. But if
7: you're in the know, if you know exactly how the song goes, it's that anticipation that you know you're part of the end thing, you know the scream, you're just waiting for the climax of it. So, it's it's spectacularly manipulative.
9: I think this is the power of the pause, and why it is so manipulative. It creates this perfect combination of tension, anticipation, and if you know that it's coming, it makes you feel like you're part of this special group. It's the ideal setting for a perfect little musical moment to occur. Right after Closing Time went to number one on the modern rock charts, Semisonic was playing a packed RFK stadium in D.C. Jacob Slichter described for me one of these perfect little musical moments. First of all, the song starts out quiet, so it's just Dan playing guitar
11: and there's John playing the piano part that goes along with it. And he got to that, you know, you don't have to go home and you could hear the the crowd going, but you can't stay here. And then when we slammed into that first chorus, I, I literally, from like where my fingers hold the drumsticks this sort of shiver came over my arms and down my back and through my legs. And I almost fell off my drums. It was really powerful. And it was like this energy from the crowd, like whoosh coming over the, the stage in a split second. Okay. So first of all, I'm processing that. And then, um, we get to the part, you know, we get through the bridge and through the guitar solo, and then we come up to the clear mountain pause. And, um, we really let it stretch out there because it's this stadium. And the stadium, everybody in the stadium started like this sort of like, eh, you know, like the sound of before there's going to be a kickoff, you know, like when the whole stadium is like humming a note, singing a note. That's what happened. And um, it just kept going and building and building. And then we slammed back into the chorus and it was just bonkers. It was just like, you really... By this point in my life, I think I was like 37 years old. I was 37 years old. I had been waiting since I was like 13 years old playing the drums in my attic to have a rock star moment. And that was it. The suspense of holding that note and that clear mountain pause and then slamming back into it was just sort of so beyond anything I could have imagined. It was totally just overwhelming.
0: You can find all these Pitch episodes at org. Next up is a podcast from a recent ComposerQuest guest, Alex Ruger. He and three of his friends sit down every so often and talk in depth about everything related to film composing. It's called Uncomposed, and it's kind of a sub-podcast of the Friends in Your Head show. This clip I'm going to play isn't actually about film scoring, but I thought it was an interesting discussion. I've been
6: using photoshop at a professional level for like a decade now and Mm -hmm. a lot it's weird i find a lot of the logic that i use in photoshop can be applied to audio engineering this is not performance and certainly not scoring but just audio engineering and thinking in terms of what could you do with that piece of audio right now Mm -hmm. and uh you know once you understand the basics of it and i do at least in terms of audio engineering not playing Mm uh you you can start working your way around these interesting sort of Oh, I could pull that off, I think. And on the album, I had an idea that I don't think Andy, who I think just got his degree in engineering from Berkeley or yeah, yeah, th- knows his shit. Yes, I don't he think does. he ever, ever would have had this idea. He looked at me like I was a goddamn idiot when I floated this idea <laughs> and it ended up working. And he was like, wow, good call. And that happened twice on the album. There's two examples of that. Um, but one of them, and this is insane speaking of weird sampling ideas, um, you know, those big box fans that you can put in your window. Mm -hmm. You can buy them at like Lowe's for 10 bucks and it just sits there and it's just this huge thing. But if you talk through it, you get Uh, that weird sort of a sound. Darth Vader thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, And I told Andy, I was like, here, I want to do a thing real quick. How about I hold that up in front of the microphone for 30 seconds. You get a good noise sample that you can noise remove. Then I sing at least one take through, through that thing as an effect, like for an interesting doubling thing you could do that's kind of cool and he was like he was like that, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull that off i'm like hold on and i set the fan up on a bookshelf so it wasn't moving it was the exact same level the entire time 30 seconds he ends up with a perfect noise sample and what you end up with is this really cool sort know, of wait, like he, a that's just, like a Leslie wait, did, speaker I just, yeah. a voice I just thought of something
9: what if you did that if you did that with an instrument oh, right. yeah. like uh, a really cool score you, it just basically adds, wait, did, you did, might want to copyright this because he didn't I'm use it but it was for Steve to
6: use it, so. <laughs> it was for Steve did
2: he did he just like revert like he he took the sample Ooh, of and just the fan and then use that and then he reversed the phase and then it yeah I
6: mean he just that's awesome he just got thank you Photoshop idea boom but he just you cool. know, he, you listen to it for 30 seconds you get that particular yeah. frequency waveform you, wave you just use that for noise removal which is i think it's just phase cancellation anyway yes. but whatever right. it is uh and then once you record it again like same exact sound but now i'm yelling through it it takes out all that fan sound right. and you end up with just the remainder which is in this case just of always fun doing fact fun fact
2: same concept uh completely off topic bono records his vocals like that hmm. he doesn't like to be in an isolation booth he oh likes no. to have
6: the, <laughs> he
2: likes to have the monitors blaring at him and he sets up a mic oh wow and, oh, wow. and then, then you he, reverse the phase of the speakers then yeah and then they reverse it and then all you have is just his vocal track that's insane. so oh, he can yeah. so
6: he can do it without headphones in that case
2: he does it without headphones and he just does it just like blaring just like yells, like he's yelling really, at his, like he's, yeah. he's singing yeah. in his car. Yeah, Wait, exactly. I can
6: almost understand that because there's something about hearing, like right now, for instance, hearing my voice in my headphones. Yep, that is distracting. Yep. So, to me, it's yeah. like hearing myself twice in yep. a way. Yep, that can be distracting, and I would so, probably yeah. hold Bono back because of that. Also,
11: record in a big room then all the time.
2: Uh, I think it's just in the like in the engineers uh, in the booth. Or, yeah. i was just wow. thinking because uh, his voice, a, a lot
9: of their music is so kind of spacious. Right. right? Yeah. You know what yeah. I, mean? I wonder if he's actually recording in a big room. room yeah. Yeah. You I, know, I
2: think he just sets up like a couple feet behind the engineer. Oh. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. That's really cool.
0: For more episodes, visit friendsinyourhead.com. Know? and just search for uncomposed episodes. Finally, we have a fun podcast from the Halloween composers, Will Dodson and Wendell Jones, who you heard from in episode 58. They mentioned that they were going to start up a podcast talking about their favorite film scores, and now it exists. Here's a clip from the Sideshow Sound radio episode about Star Wars music.
10: The whole idea of thematic... um... Film scoring was something that was there before these films, obviously, but never done so well and to this extent. Just every single film has, you know, like I said, a billion and one themes, and they're all just so, so beautiful. I have a few moments, a few really important musical moments. Uh, so this was really difficult to choose a specific cue from the soundtrack, but the cue that I have chosen is the Battle of Endor 2 from the third (laughs) film in the trilogy, uh, The Return of the Jedi. And that cue starts just before uh, Princess Leia gets uh, blasted in the arm by a stormtrooper. uh, Rather foolishly, I might add. Um, And it it carries on into the Emperor's uh, throne room, which William scores with these wonderfully... Ominous low male voices and this you know, lovely uh, string flourishes. Uh, and there's this moment uh, near the end of the queue, and I mean, it's a long queue. It's it's ten minutes. It's uh, you know, it, it yeah. features a lot of battle <laughs> music, but. There's this perfect moment in, near the end of the queue when all hope seems lost and Darth Sidious is frying Luke Skywalker to death and Williams starts to <laughs> like slow up the tempo of his already epic music. And as Darth Vader decides he's just had enough and he picks up Darth Sidious and he throws him off the railings to his miserable demise... And you hear the Force theme return for a snippet for a five, six seconds. And it just strengthens Vader's final act as a good one before, of course, he dies himself in Luke's arms. Uh, and then, of course, his, his helmet is taken off and his face is revealed. But, yeah, I mean, it's just such an important moment scored so well. And I love how he brings the Force theme back in particular at that specific moment and that is my favorite piece of music in the
2: whole trilogy the force theme that version of it at that moment that you're talking about that was in my notes especially because i've heard that cue so many times being a star wars fan and i've obviously watched that that scene hundreds of times in my life but the thing that really stuck out to me on this listening was that that version that statement of the force theme is the most frenetic. It's almost like it sounds like the light side and the dark side of the Force have collided in this epic battle musically. I mean, it's strained. There's a lot of string runs in the Force theme when it's stated at that very moment. And, And it's like you said, it's almost echoing what's going on in Vader's mind.
10: it It really is, and, and that you know that is why, it, why it's so good i mean you could you can almost maybe uh score score that 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 scene like a thousand different ways, but i you know I, I'd find it hard for anyone to to make it any better than that
3: you you would need
2: that recapitulation of the force theme at some
10: point: it's funny you mentioned recapitulation because
2: I counted in that queue alone you get four statements of the Emperor's theme, you get four statements of the Force theme, you get the Han and Princess Leia theme, you get a very, very, like, light hinting at the Imperial March. He really brings back most of the important themes from the original trilogy in that one segment. It's pretty amazing. You know, most of them in the first, like, two minutes of the the queue. It's pretty cool. And, of course, we have to remember that during that queue, there are three different conflicts happening at the same time. You've got the uh, Rebel Assault on the, the second Death Star. You have... Luke aboard the second Death Star, and you also have Han and Leia, Chewbacca, and all the Ewoks fighting the Imperial stormtroopers on Endor. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and there's a a lot
10: of a a lot of those you know perfect moments that he's got to hit, you know. But it's just this specific one that I think he does so well. And far be it from this you know cue to be my favorite, just because all the themes are there. I love the the music he plays through the through the the Emperor's throne room. It's just so dark and so ominous, and not not particularly something you hear Williams do that often, um, especially in this in, in this in this trilogy. It's almost um, uh, deadly serious in a way, and, and it, it, it 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 certainly is, you know, for as far as as far as Luke is concerned. But but yeah, it's just it's it's magical.
3: So I with the Emperor's theme, I actually noticed something listening through it sort of for, for the podcast. And it was the first time I'd listened to it for a while, I'll be honest. But I had always remembered it as being just a, a monophonic, you know, like that. It, it was just that one line in all of the parts. But listening through it again, it had far more of an aleatoric feel to it. that. Yes, you have that through line with most of the instruments and voices sort of in unison. But if you listen really closely, there's just the odd voice that's singing a little out of time with everyone else. And it creates this really interesting, slightly wrong layering effect. Uh, And yeah, that, that just kind of adds to the twisted nature of the dark side. Yeah, it it
10: really does, and and I mean, throughout the 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 previous twenty minutes, you know, we have a lot of a lot of battle music, and you know, is is going to bring the music down just for those specific scenes because. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of dialogue with the Emperor. Uh, and, of course, lots of sound effects with the lightsaber. So, I mean, you know, a, a lot of composers may choose to just keep it very minimal, but he still manages to create something interesting. And it just, when it's like the calm before the storm, when it does finally get to that moment that Darth Vader lifts Darth Sidious and throws him off the railings, That it's just, it, that's... Uh, it's, it's amazing.
2: The of Darth Vader. <laughs> It's, it's a beautiful moment, too. Even with the new Blu-ray edit, where, where Vader goes,
10: No! Oh,
3: really?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I went there. They, it's nice, though. He, they couldn't be happy with just limiting that co- comic book no to episode three? <laughs> it doesn't bother me as much as it, it bothers a lot of other people. I mean, I, I think it certainly was
0: unnecessary, but, hey, I'm
2: a fanboy with me.
0: <laughs> Their podcast can be found by Googling Sideshow Sound Radio. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I have links to all of these podcasts in the show notes at composerquest.com slash marypodmas. And thanks to all of you podcast producers for letting me air clips from your show. Thanks to Zach Klein and the Orange Mighty Trio for providing the Christmas music. Their new EP, Breaking Up Christmas, is available now at orangemightytrio.bandcamp.com. Before you go, I thought I'd share a couple fun pieces of news about other composer quest guests. My friend Joe Maylander, who I interviewed in episode 9, just got nominated for another Grammy with the Okie Dokie Brothers album, Through the Woods. I'm
7: wondering if you'd go wandering with me Through the wilderness and woods To where the winds are blowing free Through the darkness of the night Heading toward the morning light. I wonder if you'd wander with me and I'll spread the
0: word. Congrats, Joe! Mitchell Adam Johnson just got signed to Burger Records with his EP Half Moon Lane, which we talked about in episode 100. It'll be coming out on cassette in the spring, so congrats, Mitch.
11: not
2: believe all the things I hear I know people change It's a different day, different
0: year There are a ton of other cool projects that my past guests are working on and I wish I could share them all. If there's a specific guest that you want to hear from, let me know and I'll put you in touch. Again, my email is charlie at composerquest.com now, I'll leave you with a song that's totally unrelated to Christmas, except that it's called Jesus H. It's a new one from one of my favorite interviewees, Cameron Scott Boster.
1: Jesus H. I love to drive and smell my gas and I ain't got no time to waste with everything I've seen, and
10: babe,
8: you're much too slow
10: About your soul Your laughter ain't